0: We are beginning a, a new series for Advent, and uh, we're going to be looking for the next four weeks at the Christmas story through the lens of the Gospel Matthew. And uh, each, each one of the Gospels, each one of the biographies of Jesus uh, uh, views the Christmas story through a different lens. And so uh, the, the Gospel of Luke, for example, uh, it starts out with Luke as the historian, and he says, I've, I've interviewed all the witnesses, and I've looked at all the sources, and I am putting together an academic, orderly account of the birth of Jesus. And then there's John. John begins with prehistory. He says, uh, in the beginning was the light, and the light came into the darkness, speaking of Jesus. And the light shone in the darkness, darkness, a very lyrical way to open up the story of Jesus' birth. And then Mark just begins with Jesus as an adult. Uh, The beginning of his ministry, uh, Mark just gets right right to it. But then when you go to the the Gospel of Matthew, how does Matthew begin? How does Matthew begin his his, uh, story of Jesus' birth? Well, notice he says, this is the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Matthew begins with a riveting list of names of people that you've never heard of before. Jesus says, uh, Matthew says, here it is, the first words of the first book of the New Testament. And here it ha- here's how it all begins. So-and-so begat so-and-so, and then this person begat that person who begat this other person. And you might be wondering, what is Matthew doing? And you might be wondering, are you really gonna preach a sermon on this? You know, as you heard Stacy read the list of names, you're thinking, what is he gonna say about all these people? You know, aren't there more exciting things to talk about? On, on, aren't there better stories? Why begin with the genealogy? And if you're a seasoned a reader of the Bible, maybe you've got a year uh, reading plan and you read through the books of the Bible in one year, what do you do when you come to a geneal- to genealogy? You skip it. That's right. That's three, f- f- you know, three free chapters there. You just move right over that thing because what in the world would a dry list of names have to do with me? Right now in Batesville, 2019, and maybe you're here, and, 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 and maybe, you, you know, you're coming back to church. You've been gone for a long time, and you thought, well, Advent, I'm going to, uh, you know, come back and, and kind of dip my toe back in the water again to Christianity. And, 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 and the first day you come back, it is a genealogy. And you're like, really? <laughs> come on. This is why I left in the first place. Right? You're, you're, you're yep, I'm reminded why I have left. The Bible is outdated and irre- irrelevant to my life. Why does Matthew begin with the genealogy? It's because Matthew knows, like all of us know, that, that our family history says a lot about us, doesn't it? Uh, our genealogy, our, our family tree, actually, these, these things turn out to say a lot about who we are and where we're going in life. I remember uh, years ago when I was introducing uh, Anita to my extended family for the first time. All my family's in Oregon, and so we were driving up uh, to meet, you know, all my aunts and uncles, and I remember being absolutely excited and terrified at the same time. And I remember, uh, you know, going—before we arrived at the house for dinner, we had sort of a pregame— uh, talk where I was preparing her for all the people she was going to meet, and I, I remember just saying, Anita, you know, you're, you're going to go, you're going to meet a lot of interesting people tonight, a lot of interesting characters, and, and you need to know that first, first of all, we love to eat, okay? And so uh, we are eating dinner at 5 o'clock, not 5.01, not 5.02, we eat at 5, if you're not there by 5, we will eat without you. And also, when we're eating, we don't talk. You know, lots of families around the dinner table, they talk, and they have conversation when they eat. When we eat, no, we just, we eat. That's what we do. We don't talk. There's no conversation. After we eat, we talk, and that's the way it works with the Swanson family. You know, and then there were some some different characters that I knew she was going to meet, and so I said, you know, uh, Anita, when you meet my Uncle Sam, uh, he's going to ask you to pull his finger. Don't do that, okay? Don't do it. Don't do it. And so, you know, introducing Anita to my family, my my, uh, uh, extended family was exciting and terrifying and embarrassing and everything else. And the thing is, she knows me so much more now. By meeting my family, she got a glimpse into who I am and where I'm going. Probably scared her too. And Matthew knows that that by introducing us to Jesus' family t- tree and his genealogy, he's so- telling us something really important about his identity. By introducing us to Jesus' uh, long genealogy, Matthew is telling us something about Jesus' identity and the kingdom that he came to bring. And so uh, we're going to look, look at the passage here. We're going to just first uh, see what Matthew's doing in this genealogy. It's more than just a list of names. And then we're going to st- step back and ask the question, what does this mean for us, you know, tomorrow morning, Monday morning? And so uh, let's, let's jump into it. This is uh, Matthew 1, verse 1. Uh, he says, The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So notice uh, Matthew begins the genealogy by saying, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Now, we need to know that Matthew's primary audience is Jewish. Uh, Matthew, is pr- his primary uh, readers are the people of Israel, uh, people that are ethnically Jewish. And what he wants to do is he wants to convince his readers that Jesus Christ is their long-awaited Jewish Messiah. He says, Jesus the Christ. Now, when you see the word Christ, this is not Jesus' last name. Like, a lot of us think that, like Mr. Jesus Christ, right? This is, but Christ is not his last name. Christ is his title. In Hebrew, it's the word Mashiach. Can we all say Mashiach? Mashiach, this is the word for the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, the one that was uh, sent by God to deliver his people from all of their enemies, And Matthew is writing with the primary goal of convincing his Jewish audience that this is the long-awaited Christ. But the way he does that is he begins with this genealogy. Now, a a genealogy was a little bit like a resume, right? It was a little bit like a CV or a resume. And so in our world, if if you want to convince somebody that you've got credentials uh, if you want to get a job or something, you present them with your resume. And what's on your resume? Uh, your resume shows all of your accomplishments. So where you went to school, uh, what GPA you got, uh, maybe where you did your in- internship and, and what your accomplishments were there, uh, the places where you worked and how long you worked there and the things that you accomplished while you were there. Right? Your, your, your resume lists all of your accomplishments. And they're there to, to provide your credentials for a job. In the ancient world, uh, it, was, it was not an individualistic culture, but a, it's, a, it's a traditional family culture, and so they cared more about your lineage than your resume. In fact, in some ways, your lineage was your resume. If you wanted to show people that you were worthy, that you, that you had status, that you, were, you had credentials, you would just roll out your family tree. This is who I'm related to. Because people cared less about your accomplishments, and they cared more about the accomplishments of the people you were related to. And so the genealogy was important. And many people would shape their genealogy, right, to include all the right people to impress the people that were writing. And so what Matthew's doing here is he's providing Jesus' genealogy as, as a sort of resume to convince his audience that Jesus is the Messiah. And therefore, what he does is he connects Jesus to two important names in the history of Israel. Number one, he connects him to Abraham. So he says, this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ and he wants to show that Jesus is the son of David and the son of Abraham, David and Abraham. Why these two? Well, because uh, the, in Jewish tradition, uh, the, the Messiah was going to be a son of of Abraham, way back in the Old Testament, the story of the Bible, God approached Abraham and said, "I'm going to make you um, a son of, or going to give you sons. I'm going to give you a family that is as many as the seas of the seashores." Father Abraham, you're going to have many sons. Many sons, had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. And so let's go marching on, right? But he says, "I'm going to, f- I'm going to." Uh, make you a big family and from your seed singular will come a son who will be all the nations this is a promise of the messiah and matthew is showing that jesus christ is indeed a true son of abraham he's also trying to show us that he's the son of david and so the greatest king in the history of israel was david and there is a prophecy in the old testament that the the messiah would come from the royal lineage uh, lineage of david he would be a son uh, of David. He'd be a king not only of Israel but also of the whole world. And so Matthew here is tracing Jesus Christ back to David as well. And it's important to see that if you were a Jewish person and you were reading this, this wouldn't have been dry and boring at all. This would have been exciting. This list of names would have been riveting. It would have revealed something impressive and important about who Jesus was. And in fact, M.T. Wright uh, describes it this way. He says, for many cultures, ancient and modern, and certainly in the Jewish world of Matthew's day, this genealogy was the equivalent of a roll of drums, a fanfare of trumpets, and a town crier calling for attention. Any first century Jew would find this family tree both impressive and compelling. Like a great procession down a city street, we watch figures at the front and one's in the middle and all the eyes are waiting for the one who comes in the position of the greatest honor right at the end. And so at the end of this long list, Matthew introduces Jesus. And it's important and people would have been impressed. You know, we find this boring, but all his first century readers would have been taken back. Wow, this is really important. This line of people. But then as you look deeper into this uh, genealogy, Matthew does some things that are actually quite unusual, especially if he's trying to Jesus as the revered Messiah. There's some people in this list that probably shouldn't be there if you're looking to, to give Jesus status. And in fact, like I said, in the ancient world, people would shape their resume, their genealogy, and so they would e- expunge people that were not, they didn't want in there. And so they would kind of curate that genealogy, get rid of all the, the names that, that shouldn't be there. In fact, Herod the Great, we're going to be introduced to him later, um, he was a king of, of Palestine, and he was uh, you know, always trying to convince people that he was important. And one thing he did was that he went through his genealogy taking out all of the Gentiles that were in there. He was half Edomite, you see. He didn't want anybody to know. He wanted everybody to think he was full Jewish. And so he shaped his resume. He changed it. But Matthew doesn't do that to this genealogy. I want you to notice some of the unusual people that are in this list. First of all, I want you to see that when you look at his genealogy, Jesus has women there. And why is this important? Well, it's because in the ancient world, uh, women didn't have status, it was a patriarchal society. Uh, women, uh, they were uh, both uh, Greek and Roman culture, women were not considered full citizens. Um, Women were not allowed to testify in a court of law. In fact, if you were a Jewish person, you would wake up in the morning and a Jewish male would pray this prayer. Thank you, Lord, that I'm not a Gentile, a dog, or a woman. I mean, this is what they prayed. It's terrible, but just women had no status. And so nobody, nobody, if they wanted to impress people with their genealogy, would put women in there. You just wouldn't do it, but, but but Matthew puts women, four women, prominently in Jesus's genealogy, but what's even more unusual is who these women are, because there were some women in, in the uh, history of Israel that you that may, you know, if you stretched it, you may want to put them on your resume. The matriarchs, right? There was Sarah, the wife of Abraham. There was Rebecca, the wife of Jacob, and there was Rachel and Leah, or Leah, depending on whether you, you like Star Wars or not. Uh, the, the, the wives of, of Jacob. I mean, you, these were the matriarchs. If you're going to put any women in, on your resume, put these ones, the mothers of Israel. But they're not on there. They're nowhere on this resume or this genealogy. Who does Matthew have on there? Well, let's look at them. First, he's got a woman named Tamar. And who is Tamar? Well, Tamar, uh, the story, her story is in the book of Genesis, chapter 28. She was uh, the, the daughter-in-law of a man named Judah, And Tamar's, if you know the story, her first two husbands died. And so she went to her father-in-law and said, hey, can you fulfill your, uh, you know, what's expected of you? In that day and age, if uh, a woman's husband died, the father-in-law was expected to give her the next youngest son in line. But Judah didn't want to do that. So he refused to give uh, Tamar his son. And so what did she do? She dressed up as a prostitute. And she went and she stood by the city gate. And then when her father-in-law Judah came down the road, she seduced him to get pregnant. And so Tamar is, this is a scandalous story. This is one of those stories in the Old Testament that you read over it and say, and you scratch your head like, wow, that was weird. Let's pretend we didn't read that, you know. That's one of those stories you just want to get rid of. But Matthew has it here in Jesus' genealogy. Notice another woman on there. Her name is Rahab. Now, Rahab wasn't a pretend prostitute. She was an actual prostitute. And you read about her in uh, the, the book of Joshua. She was a sex worker in the city of Jericho. And you remember the story, uh, Joshua sent out spies into Jericho to uh, spy out the city. Uh, he wanted to capture it, and so they meet this, this harlot, Rahab, and she hides them in her apartment, and she uh, lies to the, to the uh, city officials that came to her door, and he let, she let them out of a red uh, cord out of her window. But Rahab the prostitute is in Jesus's line. Now I want you I want to pause here and ask you the question are these the stories that you would tell about your family? You know as you're as you're flipping through the family album and you show your you know your significant other oh yeah this is grandma Rahab and she was uh, <clears throat> prostitute you know <laughs> you you just wouldn't tell these stories but Jesus puts puts them in his family uh, tree here in fact throughout the New Testament uh, Rahab she's mentioned again and she's always mentioned as Rahab the harlot the Bible doesn't shy away from who she was and then there's Ruth Ruth is also mentioned in here and you think well finally I know the story of Ruth she was a good one I mean she was you know, faithful to Naomi. She was this wonderful woman. But did you know in the book of Ruth, she's called a, a Moabite woman? And a Moabite was a Gentile. And what that ma- means was that, that, was that she was considered unclean. Ruth could not enter the temple. She was kept at arm's length from God. She was considered unclean, and therefore she wasn't allowed to approach the God of Israel. This is who she was. She was a major outsider, and yet Jesus includes her in his family tree. And then, down in verse 6, there's another woman mentioned, and this, uh, if you read it here, it says, And David was the father of Solomon by the wife of Uriah. Matthew mentions a woman whose name is the, he calls her the wife of Uriah. So he doesn't even bring himself to mention her name. But some of us know who she is. Anybody know who the wife of Uriah was? Yeah, Bathsheba, and you know her story right? She was bathing uh, on the roof, and so David needed proof, and he sang a hallelujah, right? You guys know the song. Tied her to a a kitchen chair. Never mind. (laughs) Right? He sees her on the roof, and so he calls her into his palace, and he seduces her, and she becomes his mistress, and then they need to cover it up, and so what does he do? He kills his best friend Uriah. And so Matthew here doesn't even mention her name. She's just the wife of Uriah. And this is not a slam on Bathsheba. This is a slam on David. And what is Matthew doing here? He's reminding you of the worst part of David's story. Now, if there's anybody in your genealogy that you'd want to be there, it's David. Matthew's trying to connect Jesus to David. He's the greatest king of Israel. He's the major insider. He's the one that that gives Jesus his credibility. But what is Matthew doing here? With one stroke of his pen, he's reminding you of the darkest, most scandalous part of David's life. The most significant person in the genealogy, Matthew, is highlighting his sins. So this is unusual. This is, th- these are the people that, that Matthew is including in his genealogy here. And what is he saying? He's saying, welcome to the Holy Family. <laughs> you thought your Thanksgiving table was dysfunctional. I mean, look at this scandalous list. Why does Matthew put all this together? Well, here's what Matthew is doing with his list of names, with this genealogy that that begins the first line of the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, with his genealogy, is preaching to us the gospel. He's giving us the good news. He's saying that this baby, born of Mary in the manger, was none other than the the long-awaited Messiah of Israel, the son of Abraham, the son of David. He's the king, but he's unlike any king you've ever seen before. He's a different sort of king. He's the type of king that includes Gentiles and harlots and scandalous situations and people in his own genealogy. He is preaching to us the good news of the kingdom of God. He's telling us something really important about who Jesus is and the type of kingdom he came to bring. It's a kingdom of grace, it's a kingdom that presents good news for all of us who are broken. And so as we step away from this here, I want to just point out a few things that we learned from, from Matthew's genealogy. He's preaching the good news, but what are some of the things that he's trying to show us? First of all, I think he's trying to show us this. God welcomes outsiders and not just insiders. That's the first thing we learn, is that the God of the Bible is a God who welcomes outsiders and not just insiders. As you look throughout this genealogy, all of these women are outsiders, uh, we see that they are gender outsiders uh, without any status in that culture. They, they are moral outsiders. All of their stories are scandalous. They're ethnic outsiders. They're Gentiles. They're people outside of the, uh, the ethnic line of Israel. These, all of these people are, are outsiders. And Matthew is, tr- is trying to point out to us that the kingdom Jesus is bringing is a kingdom of welcome. He's saying that no matter who you are, no matter how different you are, no matter how strange your background, no matter what, what kind of an outsider of you, you are, you are welcome into God's family. Uh, when I was younger, I went to a church in, in Dallas, and on their uh, bulletin was this wonderful little poem. I put it in our a bulletin, and it says this. It says, To all who are spiritually weary and seek rest, to all who mourn and long for comfort, to all who struggle and desire victory, to all who sin and need a Savior, to all who are strangers and want fellowship, to all who hunger and thirst after righteousness, to all who will come, Jesus opens wide his arms and offers welcome. You may be here this morning, and maybe you feel like you don't fit anywhere. You've never felt comfortable in your own skin. You've never felt comfortable in In any group that you've been a part of, you just don't feel like you fit, and Jesus wants to say loud and clear, no matter who you are, you belong here. Because Jesus welcomes all kinds of different people into his family. In fact, uh, as you look throughout the Gospels, Jesus is always getting in trouble for welcoming um, outsiders to his table. In that day and age, if you had a meal with somebody, you were saying, I approve of you, I welcome you, I want you to come in. And Jesus was always eating with the wrong people. Matthew himself was an outsider. He was a tax collector, hated by the Romans and the Jews alike. And he remembers the day that Jesus came up to him and said, I want you to follow me. So God's family is made up of a whole bunch of different people who are all welcome to his table. And so uh, I want you to turn to your neighbor this morning and look at them and say, you are different. Now look at the person on the other side of you and say, you are very different. Now, I want you to tell them, tell them you are welcome. Because you are welcome here. You are welcome into God's family. God's, Jesus' genealogy is made up of a, a rag-tag group of outsiders. And if that's true of his forebearers, it's also true of his followers. I want you also to see this. God's dealings are with actual people, not just ideal people. Uh, this resume shows us that, that the, God deals with all sorts of people, and especially he deals with people that are deeply broken. The people uh, to whom Jesus extends a welcome and begins to deal with are, are people that have live in the actual world and have actual lives of, of brokenness and dysfunction. I mean, look at this resume filled with scandalous people. And Jesus is saying, no matter who you are, no matter how much you've messed up your life with addictions and dysfunctions and divorce and wayward children, maybe because of what you've done and all sorts of of issues with anger and greed, Jesus says, I want to work with you. Because Jesus says, my family is made up of broken, messed up people. If you want to come and work with me and be invited by me, the only thing you need is need. All you need is nothing. You don't need an impressive resume. You don't need a list of accomplishments. All you need is to come and say, I need help. I am broken. I can't do it. I need grace. Jesus wants us to see that God's dealings are with actual people, messed up people, and not ideal people, not perfect people. He also wants us to see that God uses all the messy stuff to accomplish his purposes. Right, as you look throughout this list, it's clear that that this genealogy is so messed up, (laughs) There's all sorts of people in there that you would never welcome and all sorts of circumstances that you'd never want. Right? Scandals and father-in-laws that do stuff that are not right and, and situations where people are on the outside. And, G- and Jesus says, here's the way I work in the world. I work in all the mess, messy stuff of life. I can accomplish my purposes even in the, in the, in the seasons of your life that you want to forget. You see, what most of us do is we, we carefully curate our Instagram feeds, right? And we make sure that our Facebook page has all the highlight reels on it. And the way we want people to see our lives is it's just one victory after another victory, after another highlight reel, after another wonderful event. And the Bible's real, and it says, you know what? I know your life is messed up. You know, I know that there's a life the way you thought it was, would go, and the way you dreamed it would go, and then there's your actual life. And Jesus says, I work in your actual life. Even the the things that you want to forget, the seasons of life that just seem so disastrous, Jesus says there's always hope because I use all the messy stuff to accomplish my purposes. This doesn't mean that he causes the bad stuff. A lot of times we cause the bad stuff. But man, he's able to take those things and somehow he's able to weave them together into a beautiful redemptive plan. This genealogy is preaching to us the gospel, the good news of the kingdom, and it also says that God's kingdom brings a new beginning for us and the world. It brings a new beginning. Now, there's one little piece of the genealogy that I didn't mention, but at the very end, you may have noticed uh, the, the number 14 is repeated several times. I want you to stay with me here, because this is an important piece of the genealogy, and, and scholars are always asking, why the number 14? Uh, Matthew says there are 14 generations from Abraham to David, then 14 generations from David to the exile, then 14 generations from the exile until Jesus. What is up with the three, you know, mentions of 14? Scholars have a heyday with this. Some say that, that 14 is the numerical equivalent of King David's name. Could be right. Um, all Hebrew letters had numerical equivalents, and so if you count up the numbers of, of David's name, it equals 14. What's interesting is that David's name appears number 14 in the genealogy. Maybe that's it. The, the explanation I heard, I, I thought, was th- this of all the ones, I thought this one was the best because one scholar says that the number 14. Three times, you need to notice this is six sevens in a row. And you know that in the Bible, the number seven is the number of perfection. It's an important number. And so for the Jews, um, every seventh day of the week was a day of rest. And then every seven years, there was a, a, a year of rest for the land. And then every seven times seven years, there was the year of Jubilee which was a rest for everybody. And this was a year in which all the slaves were freed, in which everybody's land that they lost through debt got, went back to them, and all the debts were forgiven. It's a beautiful year of, of jubilee, a wonderful socio socioeconomic principle that I think was beautiful about uh, ancient Israel. But I want you to notice that there are six sevens in Jesus' genealogy. What that means is that Jesus' birth marks the seventh seven. And some people say that what Matthew is saying is that Jesus is bringing, he's ushering in the ultimate year of jubilee. Where people who are, who've been enslaved to sin all of their lives, to, enslaved to addictions and fears and patterns of anger and greed can be free. Where the debts were forgiven, where there's forgiveness, where your sins can be forgiven, where you can be set free from shame and guilt. All of your past is let go, and all the land is, is given back to you, That we, where there's restoration of our inheritance, where God restores everything. Jesus is ushering in the jubilee to end all jubilees, and what this means is that Jesus Christ brings a new beginning. In fact, uh, Matthew begins here with the genealogy of Jesus. The word genealogy literally just means Genesis. Matthew is saying is that the birth of this baby marks a new creation, a new beginning for everybody. This means it doesn't matter what's gone on in your past. It doesn't matter what happened 10 years ago or two years ago or last year or this week. There's always a new beginning. There is always forgiveness. There is always freedom in Jesus's kingdom. God brings a kingdom that has a new beginning for our lives and the world. That means that your past does not determine your future. Remember, uh, and I'm almost done here. But when I entered, right after I introduced Anita to my family, we went to premarriage counseling, and this premarriage counselor, uh, we. He, the, one of the first things he had us do is he said, okay, I'm going to introduce you guys to each other's families. And he says, I, I said, she already met my family. It's okay. She's already seen them. And he says, oh, no, 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 no. He said, I want you to go home and I want you to create a family tree. And so we went home and I, and I listed out all my family tree as far back as I could remember and, and Anita did the same. And then we took it back to our counselor and he says, okay, I want you to circle every uh, instance where there's been addiction in your family tree. So I, you know, circled some people. And then he says, now I want you to circle anybody who's had a divorce. So he circled that. And then I want you to circle anybody who's ever been in prison. I think I had one of those in my <laughs> genealogy. And then, so I was looking at my, everything that I circled, and I just thought, oh my gosh, my family's so messed up. <laughs> but you know what? Anita's was worse. It was worse. <laughs> it was worse than mine. And then the guy, he, he looked at us, and he says, okay, here's Here's the bad news. He says, you're bringing all of that, in a sense, genetically into your marriage. He says, you're not just marrying her, you're marrying the family, it's a package deal. So he says, you need to know that there are things that you're bringing in from your past that are, are gonna affect your present. He said, that's the bad news, but he says, let me tell you the good news. He says, the good news of Jesus Christ is that he brings a new beginning. and That means it doesn't matter how bad your parents' marriage is, your marriage doesn't have to look like theirs. It doesn't matter how screwed up you were as a kid, you don't have to pass on that same dysfunction. It doesn't matter what sort of, uh, you know, predisposition you have to addiction. I mean, yeah, that stuff plays into your life, but I'm telling you what Matthew is saying here is that in Jesus Christ, we can be free from our past, that your past doesn't determine your future. In Jesus Christ is a new beginning. And so here's the beginning of Matthew. The first first thing he does is he gives us a genealogy. He's preaching to us the gospel. He's wanting to give us hope. He's he's wanting to tell us something about who Jesus is and the kingdom that he came, came to bring. It is a kingdom of freedom and hope. It is a freedom of welcome for outsiders, healing for those who are sick and broken and forgiveness to those who have sinned. This is good news. Let's pray. Father, we thank you uh, so much for this genealogy that you give us. Matthew, including some unusual names, and he's trying to show us, Lord, that there is always welcome, there is always healing, there's always hope for those who come to you. Lord, you offer us an invitation. We thank you that you were a God who heals our brokenness, and we pray, God, that as we continue to look at the story of Jesus, Emmanuel, who is God with us, Lord, that you, we would invite you in. God, that you would change our lives, that you would give us hope mm-hmm. in our darkness and in our messy situations. And we pray that you would do this in Jesus' name.